What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining us today is Nick Bolheis, who is the VP of Performance Programs at NeuroPeak Pro. Nick leads the staff in charge of all peak performance training, has extensive experience working with teams and athletes in the NBA, NFL, MLB, and NHL. He and his team also work with numerous professional golfers on the PGA, LPGA, and Corn Ferry Tours. Nick has also worked with several Olympic athletes and professional tennis players looking to maximize their brain performance. He has spent several years leading neuroanalytic evaluations for prospective NBA draft prospects. Beyond work in the athletic realm, Nick has led teams that conduct corporate evaluation and training programs designed to promote and improve employee wellness initiatives. Nick has also aided executive search firms in the pursuit of high-ranking candidates and also has strong clinical background focused on working with individuals of all ages dealing with issues related to focus, stress, mood conditions, and sleep concerns. Nick holds degrees from Grand Valley State University and Western Michigan University. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brendan. I need to shorten the bio up. That was way too long. It's embarrassing to listen to all that. It sounds like I'm trying too hard. So. No, you you clearly have a lot of powerful experience, and that's why you're here. So how did this all come to be? When did you realize this was your calling or this is what you wanted to contribute to and do? That's a great question. You know, my undergrad is actually in finance. I thought I was going to be handling people's retirement accounts. Um, and then through some different life circumstances, uh, started to work, you know, with brains and uh, really got or start working with pediatrics, working with kids with academic issues, ADHD, those types of things. And just kind of over organically, we started to get introduced to athletes and adults that were dealing with some of those same things and found that, hey, we can actually strengthen people's brains that are already functioning pretty well, um, not just the folks of people that are diagnosed with something. So I, I always dreamed that I'd maybe be the GM of the Detroit Lions when I was a little kid, you know, because I thought if I could turn around the Lions, I'd be, you know, able to walk into any room in the state and be, be worshipped. But this is, this is a close enough thing, getting to work with athletes' brains and helping teams perform better. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just start at a high level. What does it mean to help someone with their brain or strengthen it? And then if we could dig in a little bit in terms of what you guys do to support that. Yeah. So when you look at teams and athletes these days, uh, they're always looking for a competitive advantage. It used to be the weight room when teams first started to you know, invest in weights and cardio and all those types of things, they had an advantage. Well, now everybody's doing that. Now, nutrition was kind of this next phase where they really started to, to care about what the athletes were eating and drinking and putting into their bodies. Now, I still think there's opportunity for a lot of teams to do better nutrition wise, but that's the gap is shrinking. 
So it's, it's the brain space that is that next frontier. How do we get somebody who's wired a certain way, maybe wired to be too stressed or not focused? How can we get their brains stronger, just like we strengthen any other muscle to allow them to function at their highest level? So that's where we use some really cutting edge technology to look at literally how the brain is wired and firing. How does the electricity flow through the brain? Then we also look at their heart and their breathing and say, okay, physiologically, how is this body able to handle stress? And then let's develop a training plan to teach their bodies how to handle stress better, how to teach their brain how to handle stress better or how to focus better. So it's, a, it's kind of taken that athletic approach to the mental side and the training side of things. Mm-hmm. What are the biggest misconceptions people hold about the brain and how can we learn about it just Initially, an athlete comes in, he knows nothing, he's got the weight training down, he's eating healthy. What are the, what's the lowest hanging fruit and the biggest things people don't even realize? I think big picture, one of the things I I think people are finally coming around on is that your brain is constantly changing. So, So like when I was in grad school back in the day, we were just coming out of the period of time where they still taught that your brain was static. It didn't change. Your IQ was your IQ. Whatever you were born with, that's what your brain was going to be. Well, now we know definitively that the brain, the brain waves are very dynamic. Our our brain is actually growing every day. It's creating new cells. There's new pathways that are developed every day. So that's, that's, uh, that's still kind of relatively new, big picture that your brain can change. So then we get past that. Um, and we say, all right, uh, boy, there, there's a few different ways we could go with this, but for an athlete, it's okay. You can actually do something about it. Okay. Just like you go in and you do anything physically nutrition wise, we can set up a plan to train your brain. And it's not just these, um, you know, mental skills. I'm not going to just give you a couple things to think about, like some nuggets of, of wisdom that's not the mental side. That, that's more what I would consider software in the brain. We work on the hardware. So if I've got a mental skills coach who is giving just the best training and coaching, but the brain is not ready to process that and take it, it's like getting the greatest, newest software and trying to load it on a computer that's running Windows 95. Yep. It's not going to run very well. So we go in with technology and say, well, let's upgrade that processing system to the latest version of windows so all the software you're trying to dump in there is going to work better that's where we're different than your traditional kind of mental skills coaching and so what does that look like from how do you upgrade your brain's hardware yeah so again we look at the electricity in the brain we use what's called a quantitative electroencephalogram qeeg so it measures the electricity that's running through your brain We can move these sensors around to different areas of the brain, or sometimes we'll put a full cap on the head that measures your entire brain all at once. But we're looking in the simplest form at how fast or slow the brain is going. So again, I mentioned, you know, sometimes we'll work with somebody who's just stressed. They don't handle stress very well. So we want to be able to quantify that. And we can do that with the EEG and say, hey, yeah, you know what? Your brain is going faster than 95% of the folks your age. So then if you're standing in the batter's box, trying to hit a pitch with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, 
you're already walking to that box almost defeated because your stress level is so high where I want to then be able to teach the brain to reduce those fast brain waves, to reduce those crisis brain waves. So now you've got this buffer or cushion as you walk out onto the field or the court, you're not stressed to begin with, you're nice and calm. So as that environmental pressure builds, you have a cushion to handle it better. So what, what impacts this the speed of the brain or the, the reduction in brain waves sounds like stress is one. What else contributes to that? Yeah, some of it's genetic. You know, we're, we're born a certain way. When you go back to a, a clinical standpoint, when you look at people diagnosed with attention disorders like ADHD, a lot of times that runs in the family. So sometimes you're just kind of born with a certain speed. You inherited it. But then, yeah, life, life circumstances will impact it as well. If you're living in a stressful environment day in and day out, that's just going to kind of over time notch that upwards higher. Mm-hmm. For a lot of our athletes, it's their travel schedules. You know, they're going from time zone to time zone, you know, new hotel room every other night. Their, their whole body clock kind of gets off. So and then they have to perform at, you know, seven o'clock at night, your body's already naturally starting to calm down. And then the lights come on for a lot of the athletes. So there's a lot of things in their environment that are working against them that causes these bad habits neurologically that we need to kind of go in and try to correct or compensate for. Mm -hmm. And so how much, if someone comes in and they're clearly very stressed out or they have this genetic imbalance or environmentally or travel wise, it's, it's having this impact on them. What, what can people do? Let's say for example, listeners of the show who may not plug into software systems, just what would you tell them that they could do this weekend uh, to deal with these different things and reduce the brain waves and um, find more balance? Yeah. You know, that, that really speaks to uh, the word I like to use a lot is intentional. You got to choose to do, to make, to make changes. You got to be intentional about it. So from a sleep hygiene standpoint, yeah, we're recording this on a Friday. It's going to be the weekend for people. A lot of people are like, well, I can just stay up later and I'll, I'll sleep in more on Saturday and, and make up for it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a sleep cycle or a circadian rhythm for a reason. So the more consistent you can be, the better. If you're going to bed at 10 o'clock most nights, but then, you know, midnight or 2 a.m., a few of the other ones, and you're up and down, your body has a really hard time adjusting to that. Um, so try to keep that routine uh, as, as consistent as you can. You know, we think about the temperature of your bedroom. It should be nice and cool. Some people like to crank up the, the furnace. Your body doesn't sleep well when it's warm. Um, thinking about what you're eating and drinking before bed is really important too. Um, so all these like little things that aren't rocket science, but you got to do them if they're going to help you and you got to be consistent. You can't try it for a couple nights and say, oh, that wasn't for me. It didn't work. A lot of times we're trying to break these habits that you've been in for years and years. It just takes time to unwind those. Yeah. The, the circadian rhythm is something I'm very familiar with because when I used to live in New York city and working in wall street, it would be five hours, four hours, six hours, three hours of sleep during the week. And then weekend, go to bed at like fall asleep at 8 p.m. on Friday, wake up at noon. And then, oh, now I'm rested. So I'll just go out partying Saturday night, 4 a.m. 
it, it was just, you know, you have that rhythm and then back and forth. So any particular strategies other than, Hey, here's your schedule. Here's how we want to do it to help say athletes or people in general sync up on a healthy circadian rhythm and, and sleep timetable. It goes back to, do they want to do it or not? A lot of times, because the information's out there, you know, we're not, we're not preaching to them in most cases, you know, this brand new novel concept. It's just how bad do you want to get better? You know, usually people are coming to us because they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm living life. I'm doing all right, but I want to go to this next level. Just like if you go to the gym and you talk with your trainer, okay. Trainers can say, okay, you've indicated you want to lose 10 pounds or you want to gain X amount of muscle mass. Are you willing to put in the work? That's what it usually just comes down to for people is we're not going to give you anything that's too hard. That's not attainable for you. You just have to make the choice. Am I going to do the work or not? Yeah. Well, well said. So circadian rhythm, consistent sleep cycle, including on the weekends, bedroom temperature. Uh, I've read about this. I've seen like 68 degrees better than 72. What do you guys recommend? I think we say somewhere between like 65 and 68. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, like 65, I'd be frozen. So I'm, I'm probably closer to that 68 number mm -hmm. personally. That's, you know, I, I always look at it when I go to a hotel room, I just knock it down to 68 and I know I'll be all right, right there. Um, yeah. And, and what is, and that's great to even know. So 65 would, would be more optimal or in that range. What, what, why, what, what is the cooler temperature just to understand the why behind that? Yeah. So you think about like, so physiologically, um, you're always looking at parasympathetic versus sympathetic mm -hmm. activity. So parasympathetic is more of a rest recovery state. Sympathetic is more fight or flight. So when we're cranking up the body, the body temperature, that's just drawing us more into a, a more active or stressed state. When we are asleep at night, we want to be more in that rest recovery zone. And our body is able to relax and calm down when we're in that cooler temperature state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times too, it's, so it's all about that, the balancing out of parasympathetic, parasympathetic and sympathetic. Um, so we do a lot of breathing exercises for people too, before bed. Again, trying to calm the system down, take them out of that revved up, super stimulated state. You know, like when you're living in New York City, it's go, 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 go all the time, plenty of stimuli. So we want to be intentional about, it's really hard just to like flip that switch when your head hits the pillow. So a lot of people find it's very helpful to do some very slow, deep breathing exercises to activate more of that parasympathetic response as well when they lay down. Oh yeah. I mean, I've worked with clients and I, myself, I'm, I'm all revved up wor working late into the evening, which is something that unless I have to, I'm not doing anymore, but I have friends and colleagues and they'll work, especially with COVID they're working from home. So they're on emails, 10 o'clock at night, the lights are off, the bright screen, their brains activated, bodies activated, eat dinner, 10, 10 30. And then they jump into bed and they're like, why can't I fall asleep? Hey, your body's trying to digest all that food you just yeah. crammed in. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting you bring up, you know, working from home. We do a lot of work in the corporate space. And as we've been talking to our corporate clients the last several months, asking them what they're hearing from their, their staff and all that that work-life balance has come up almost every single time. And there's actually different definitions I found out. You know, when I think of work-life balance, I think of uh, historically, 
yeah, hey, being able to spend enough time at work, but when I'm home, I'm present with my family and all that. Well, now everybody's with their family, you know, depending on where you live. If you're in New York City, you usually don't have a lot of space. You're like kind of cramped in smaller confines. So what they're finding is, yeah, when is it appropriate to turn it off when I'm yeah. at home? And, and when is it not? And, and all of those types of things. It's a big deal. When you're talking to someone who works in, say, a corporate job, and they and they ask you, Nick, when when should I sign off for the evening? Obviously, there's ambition, there's drive, there's goals. But what what do you say? You know, all and then also I have a separate question, which is, I've heard people say it's better to just go to sleep earlier and have your circadian rhythm from like ten to six is much better than midnight to eight. So I'm curious your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a morning person myself. I am that guy that's like 10 to six. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at the data, if we think of even the younger age, when you look at like middle school, high school, those kids are like, you know, I've got to stay up, I've got to study for this test. Now the data is pretty compelling that uh, cramming the night before isn't going to help you a ton, especially if you're, you know, shortchanging your sleep. You're much better off going and get a full night of sleep so your brain is fully recharged. You're going to perform better on the test the next day. And I think, yeah, we, uh, we find a lot of coping mechanisms to try to push through those walls that we hit throughout the day. If you're trying to work well into the evening, you know, you're usually going to have to drink some caffeine throughout the day, which that will mess up your sleep patterns as well. So, uh, I would never want to say anything that would get somebody in trouble with their boss at work. Well, hey, this guy at NeuroPeak said I got to be done at this time or whatever. But uh, you know, find that good rhythm where you're naturally focused and locked in. It's usually in the first half of the day. So try to try to load up on those things that are going to require more brain power earlier in the day. Knock all that stuff out. Because at the back end of the day, you just have a limited amount of uh, reserves there to, to draw from. And uh, it's your, your quality of your work will go down the further you work into the evening. It's just it's the way it works. That That's a really helpful insight that I used to draw on a lot, which is when I wake up in the morning, what's the most resource consuming, intense, difficult, proactive assignment I have to tackle and do that first. I kind of forgot about that. So that's a great reminder. Yeah, one of the other things that's kind of cool if we go a little tangent here, but um, yeah. I always take my morning readiness. So we do a lot of work with breathing and heart rate variability training with our clients. So every morning when I wake up, I slap on our finger sensor for two and a half minutes. And that tells me where my heart rate variability is for the day. And I found that that will give good insight too. Hey, am I, am I in a good balanced state physically? Because if I am, I'm, I'm like, today's going to be a good day. I've got nothing holding me back. Um, if I wake up more stressed, I'm going to be more intentional first thing in the morning, maybe doing some more breathing exercises, maybe getting in a neurofeedback session or getting in a really good strong workout to basically try to lower that stress level that's built up in my body. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, if I'm in more of a parasympathetic state, a rest recovery state, my body is telling me, hey, uh, we maybe pushed it a little too hard the last couple of days. Let's take our foot off the gas today. The body's telling me I need to chill out a little bit. I can't, I shouldn't probably do a very hard workout. I shouldn't really try to push through too much today. So it's, it's about gathering data uh, to listen 
to your body and you can make decisions that way too. You can learn a lot from listening to your body. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I love some of these motivational guys like David Goggins who say, go hard every day. Gary V says, you got your nine to five, your five to nine, but I'm much more a believer in pacing yourself, working hard consistently while also being very keyed into your body's rest needs and relaxation and all that. Not that it's so binary, but I appreciate what you're saying there. There's like those physical freaks that can do that. It's a very small percent that they can just bring it hard every single day. Yeah. The majority of us cannot do that. So in the interest of longevity Mm -hmm. and consistency, uh, pace yourself, go the speed limit, maybe a couple miles per hour over the speed limit, but don't try to go 90 until you crash into the wall and have to putz around at 45 for a while. Just get in that rhythm and get locked in. Exactly. So you mentioned earlier the importance of not eating or drinking right before bed. What would you say is a good benchmark for how long, like if let's say you're going to go to bed at 1030 every night, when should you eat dinner? When do you cut off food, drinks, et cetera? Well, yeah, so this could open up a whole can of worms. You know, we start to think about keto diets, intermittent fasting. Right. All yeah. So we'll just try to keep it general for the average person. But I think, I think the, the research that's out there is pretty consistent. You don't want to be drinking alcohol uh, more than a couple hours before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. You know, so try to you know, cut yourself off uh, a few hours or before going to bed. Same thing with eating. I think, um, I think the more that you can limit the snacks and the other things outside of meals, yeah. uh, the better it is for you physically, metabolically as well. Uh, so I know personally, I, I, I don't intermittent fast, but I don't eat after dinner. It's just, hey, dinner, fill up. Your body is going to be fine until you wake up the next morning. Yeah. There are some people, though, if you do have some blood sugar issues, uh, it's actually maybe a good thing just to have you know some fruit or some yogurt right before you fall asleep. That can actually help aid in your sleep process by boosting your blood sugar a little bit. Uh, but that, those are for the people that maybe have, you know, lower blood sugar in particular, but uh, I try, try to avoid the snacking and making your body always trying to be working, metabolizing things. Yeah. In, in my own personal experience of eating right before bed, I've noticed that my body is now, while instead of resting, I'm technically sleeping, but my digestion system is activated. And so blood is moving faster through my body. Um, I've even noticed sometimes having uh, more lucid or distracting dreams, keeping me out of REM sleep. So all of this, like if I eat a solid, healthy meal, full dinner, like you said, my body digested for a couple hours and then I go to sleep. I sleep much more deeply. Yeah. It, it maybe sounds boring, you know, maybe <laughs> I know. boring this to people, but eat your meals and go to bed. You know, yeah. this might be the most boring thing they've heard all week, but Hey, I know, but, but they sleep well, people. Yeah, no, I totally. So uh, I don't want to go ask you the same question on a hundred different diets, but if we just took the ketogenic diet, for example, because we do have listeners who um, follow that, how would eating and drinking before bed and just kind of food intake as it relates to the brain, where does the ketogenic diet come into play here? Thinking about that. Yeah. So when we work with our clients, you know, I wouldn't say we're agnostic on diet. 
uh, I would actually say we probably lean more Mediterranean than anything. So we actually have a curriculum where when people are going through one of our training programs, there's usually a three-month program, we have a whole outline of dietary recommendations for them. Uh, they don't have to do them. That's not a main part of it, but it's, it's an add-on. And it's more about education saying, hey, these foods that you're putting in are going to be impacting your brain in this way. So we're always looking for brain boosting foods, foods that will uh, basically create better fertilizer and growth for the cellular activity in your brain. And, and really the best research that we look at with neurologists is, is a well-balanced diet, um, not something that is hard to sustain for the long haul. We're always looking at not just short-term, but what over the course of many years is going to be something that's sustainable for you to do and provides um, the healthy nutrients that your brain needs for long-term care. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing that we've been talking about a lot lately on my podcast and kind of in tandem with this Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma that you may have heard of or even seen is the the phone, the phone usage. Um, two episodes ago, I did a whole breakdown on my screen time and I don't use social, I don't use Facebook or Instagram. I'm off both platforms. My team will post content there, but I personally don't use it. And I'm curious if that's something you either think about or even teach is the impact of cell phone usage or excessive media, TV, any of this on, on the brain's performance. Oh yeah. No, I, I look back the conversations I was having like, you know, eight, 10, 12 years ago, when I'm just this young, you know, guy trying to talk with these families who are bringing their teenagers in with like anxiety issues. I'm like, yeah, you got to get them off the phone. You know, they shouldn't be looking at their phone two hours before bed, just, you know, that's what you got to do. Well, that's not a reality in the world that we live in today. Now I've got a child who's almost a teenager. It's, it's tough. We, we, we live on these things. Um, it, they're not great. There is the whole social component of what you're reading and you know, social media is so negative. <laughs> it's just like you think about it from a psychological impact. You're not reading a bunch of happy stories typically before bed. So psychologically, what is that doing to you? Right. Um, but we look at it even just from a, a light standpoint, the blue light that's getting absorbed through your eyes. So I, uh, I do check my phone before bed sometimes and all that, but I've got the orange uh, blue blocking glasses and, and those things really help. So it's like little you know, hacks that you can do to try to compensate for, for how we do things these days can go a long way. If we yep. had... We could do it, yeah, get rid of the phones and all that stuff before bed, but it's not going to probably ever happen. Right. So trying to uh, reduce cell phone usage, especially closer to bed. You also mentioned uh, blue light blocking glasses, which I've personally used. Um, you can get those online. Um, I want to also ask you about, you, we, you mentioned caffeine earlier. I, uh, I'm, I think in the minority of people that doesn't drink coffee. And I'm curious, pro athlete comes in, he, I want to go from seven or eight or nine to 10. Is coffee or caffeine something that you talk about at all? We will, you know, actually that's, that's something that impacts your brainwave activity pretty significantly. So yeah. like when we are meeting with somebody, 
doing a full eval, there's, there's some questions I want to know on them. You know, okay, how much caffeine have you had today? We'll ask about head injuries and medications in some points, but, but caffeine is always one of the things we ask. Now, there is research out there that shows that you will perform better in the short term if you have some caffeine in your system. It's a stimulant. It, it, wakes, it wakes the brain up, gets the synapses firing. It's a short-term thing. It's not a long, sustainable uh, thing. I personally don't drink caffeine. I dropped it a few years ago. It was tough to, to do that. Those first few weeks was difficult not having the morning cup of coffee. I just noticed it has really helped me with jet lag when I travel. I do a lot of travel for work. And when I'm in different time zones, I can adapt so much quicker than I used to. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I've told people, I've been interviewed before. I say, hey, you know, if you can drop caffeine, uh, you can get by without it. It, it. It's a crutch for a lot of people. Totally, um, yeah. But um, it, it's not the end of the world unless you're like having to live on it, you know, two, three cups in the morning, then another one after lunch, another one late afternoon. It's like, no, that's that's when you've got a problem. That's mm -hmm. when you're going to be really messing up some things. Well, that's why I never drank it was because my parents both used it like kind of like a crutch. And I saw that. And so from a young age and high school, college, law school, I always said, if, if I'm, if my body is shutting down, cause I'm so tired, I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Not, listen to your body. Yeah. Not have a cup of coffee. It's kind of like, uh, you know, that false energy it felt like to me. Nope, exactly. Again, there's far worse things you could be taking to rev yourself up right. than a cup of coffee. But, um, but yeah, you know, if you can get by without it, more power to you. Yep. So I want to talk about alcohol for a second here. What, I mean, when I watch the Hard Knocks show about NFL players, I obviously I have, and I continue to coach pro and ex uh, NFL and other professional athletes like you and your firm do. Um, the alcohol is a major part of professional athletes, social lives I've, I've noticed. And I'm curious, what do you talk about with your clients about alcohol? Have you found that the elite elite performers don't drink the last dance? Michael Jordan documentary came out during COVID Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen are drinking beers in multiple scenes, you know, and he's the greatest basketball player of all time. So how should the average listener looking to just enhance their brain performance think about this? And when you're talking to elite, elite athletes, what do you say about alcohol? Yeah, no, I, the last dance was awesome. And I thought it was hilarious too, that they're drinking like Miller lights or, or Word light or something like <laughs> in the locker room, in the locker room. Like I have not seen that in the locker rooms I've been in recently, but nope. uh, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, when yeah. you think about it. I, I loop the alcohol discussion back into the overall diet conversation. So, okay. Are you, are you leaning more towards brain boosting and brain building foods and drinks or brain shrinking? foods and drinks, okay? Alcohol is gonna shrink your brain over the long term. It's gonna start to kill off cells, it just does. So the more you're doing it, the more you're relying upon it, it, it truly is not a, a healthy thing for your brain. Right. As with anything though, if done in moderation, uh, you're gonna be fine. I mean, the, there's this, I think it's, I think it's interesting, you know, you hear the stories you, you hear about like in college settings where, the college kids that are binge drinking, oh, it's, it's killing off their brain cells and they'll never get them back. They're just frying their brain in college. 
Well, now with medical imaging technology, we can see that that's not true. Um, yeah, it might kill cells off, but your brain is creating new cellular activity every day. But again, the brain's growing. So if you're, if you're fertilizing the brain, if you're taking care of the brain, those cells will flourish and grow and, you, and you'll gain things back. If you're not taking care of it, they'll, they'll prune off or die off very quickly. So all that to say, yeah, big picture, not great. But if done in moderation and it's not a, you know, doesn't become a problem for you, your brain is pretty resilient and, and can compensate for it. Got it. So tell us about NeuroPeak Pro, um, what you guys do, how you got involved in the company, and as we sort of gear towards wrapping up, how people can find out more. But take your time. Tell us about the company and your involvement. Yeah, no, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. So again, we got our start in the clinical setting, primarily working with kids. It's organically grown now where the majority of the folks we work with are peak performers. They're, they are not people diagnosed with a mental health condition. We still work with those folks, um, but just the way it's gone, uh, we work with a lot of healthy people that are just trying to get one or 2% better in, in whatever avenue they're, they're uh, engaged in. Seen a lot of growth in professional golf. Um, got a lot of pro golfers, uh, PGA Tour players that we work with, and a lot of recreational folks. And uh, pro golfers, they are playing for a paycheck every week. So they are looking for what little advantage can be gained uh, to get better. Because you think about a pro golfer, if, if they can get 1% better, that's a stroke or two per round, per 18 holes. Okay, that's a huge thing. Over the course of a tournament, that's four to six strokes better. Yeah, That's the difference between being a top 200 player and a top 50 player yeah. easily. Um, so yeah, do a lot of work with you know, doing the neurofeedback and the biofeedback training to evaluate how the brain is firing, get a good baseline, say, hey, this is where you're at today. And then what's your training plan gonna look like over the next three months to get your brain firing stronger. So yeah, we've got a variety of entry points for people that can go full out from day one, looking at their brain. We ship out this nice little equipment to them and we do everything via Zoom. Um, we also just do a lot of work with breathing and heart rate variability with people where we can spend three months just teaching them all there is to know about breathing and heart rate and they see tremendous improvement right there. And that even impacts your neurological function too. So. Uh, we try to set up these programs that are short in length, usually about three months, that will have that lasting impact um, over the course of their life. And it's tailored to the individual. This is not a one-size-fits-all. Everybody does the same thing. Uh, everybody's brain is unique. So we need to measure where your brain is at and then show you exactly where and what frequencies are out of balance and need to be improved upon. So it's, it's completely tailored to the individual. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like how different is, say, a pro golfer comes in versus a pro NFL player versus an individual who works in the corporate setting? And how do all three of those groups think about approaching you and what they should expect? Yeah, no, um, the, the cool thing is, and, and when people visit our website, neuropeakpro.com, we've got it outlined. Hey, are you an athlete? Are you a corporate individual? Are you just a regular person? Um, what we really try to, to make clear to people is every brain is unique, but regardless of what uh, field you're in, uh, you can get your brain stronger. 
you would you would think maybe that all golfers' brains are alike. That is definitely not the case. Um, that's the cool thing about our jobs is when we put that little sensor on your head and move it around and measure your brain waves. I never know what I'm going to find because that's the that's the cool thing about it. Um, we've got plenty of golfers that yeah they do handle a lot of, deal with a lot of stress. You know they get on the course their hands get shaky and we've got to calm them down. Yeah. But there's almost just as many golfers that have focus issues. They get bored out on the course. And we need to actually help to speed their brains up to help them function better. Um, that was a really interesting concept to me uh, when we first really started to work with golfers at a high level. Um, corporate setting, yeah, I'd say it's probably 95% stress related. I mean, you kind of, yeah. you gave us a glimpse into your New York life. Yeah. It's go, 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 go. Well, I remember speaking of my New York life, um, I went in for a physical and my blood pressure was high. And the woman, the doctor wanted me to wear a blood pressure tester under my suit that would take my blood pressure every hour on the hour. And then I would bring it in. And I said, what if I just got a less stressful job? She goes, oh yeah, you could do that too. It's up to you. <laughs> what but, are they able to? And yeah. now you're in California. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, yeah. this is super helpful. So where, if people do, you mentioned your website, but say it again. And how else can people get in touch on social media and learn more about you guys? Yeah, so neuropeakpro.com is our website. We've got everything, all of our different programs, the different evaluations we offer. Again, most things are done remotely where we can just send out equipment to people. Um, there are instances though, where people want us to travel to them. They've got very specific needs or a large group, things like that. We can accommodate all of that. Again, we work with individuals, we work with teams, corporations. We're pretty flexible on that. We're also on all the socials. So you can find us on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all of those things at NeuroPeak Pro. Awesome. Well, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. This is really helpful to me and our audience as well. You guys can find Nick Bolheis of NeuroPeak Pro online. Nick, thanks again for coming on the show. Brendan, this was fun. Appreciate you having me on. Yep. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Lastly, if you're looking to take your personal life, business, or career to the next level and you want access to me as well as my community of like-minded people, head over to courses.brendanhburns.com and join us in Mastery Academy, my membership site that comes with online course content as well as live coaching calls every two weeks hosted by me personally. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.